if we're gonna date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. You have seven evil ex boyfriends? Seven evil exes, yes. And I have to fight? Defeat. Defeat your seven evil exes if we're going to continue to date? Pretty much. So what you're saying right now is we are dating? Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 64, and the movie that we watched this week was Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Joining me to talk about that is a Scott himself, uh, Scott Moore. Not to be confused with other Scott or right. Nega Scott. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, now, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, you had seen this before, I mm-hmm. had not. Right. So we decided uh, it was, it kind of made sense. You play a bass guitar, I'm mm-hmm. slowly learning how to play a bass guitar. Right. It's a Scott playing a bass. You're like, hey, Scott, we, <laughs> we kept, we, we threw around ideas for movies to watch, and we wanted yeah. to find something with music involved in it. So, of course, we end up with an Edgar Wright movie, right? Because that <laughs> dude puts, like... The music in his movies is just insane, and we're going to talk a lot about that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had not seen this. Um, it just it came out at a time when I wasn't going to movies a lot, so it sort of yeah. slipped under my radar, and then I just never got around to it. And I'm I'm a better person today for having seen this movie. <laughs> I really <laughs> I don't am. Know if many people can say that about this movie. <laughs> well, so I am a big time Edgar Wright fan. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. I love the Cornetto trilogy. There's three. There's some of my favorite movies, and I just recently watched Baby Driver. Fell in love with that. I still haven't seen that. Oh. That's one I need to go see. I've I've heard really good things about that. It the the use of music in that movie is unlike almost anything I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and I kind of get it now reading some of the trivia on this and the way he he structured this movie too. Mm. There's something with the way Edgar Wright uses music. He wanted this to be almost like a musical. But instead of the the thing I read was he wanted it to be like a musical, but instead of the cast breaking into song at random points, they broke into fights. Well, and they and they even had a little bit of that, especially in the beginning mm-hmm. um, with the Matthew Patel fight. You know, that actually turned into kind of a musical number. Yeah, that, that went very Bollywood. Um, yeah. Which I appreciate a lot. Uh, if you like the way music is used in this, you will love Baby Driver. Because it's even it takes that to the next level, like the music yeah. is a character in that movie, and that's the thing for me as an audio producer and a musician and just an all around, you know, somewhat of an audiophile. Like the use of music in music and not just music, but music, sound effects, silence, like sound design in general is really important to me for a movie. It oh, can yeah. really make or break a movie. It can turn you know, an average movie into a great movie. It can turn, you know, a subpar movie, at least into a fun movie, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's like salt in your food. It's the thing that you don't notice it until it's bad or it's not there. And then oh, yeah. you realize how much sound goes into these movies. You can have a movie that shot on an eight millimeter uh, camera, mm-hmm. but if it's got good sound and good sound editing and good sound design, it's watchable. I mean, found footage oh, yeah. films are, are, proof of that oh yeah and and that's the thing and like you said you said it perfectly you know no one notices audio until it's bad right or it's wrong 
you know, when when the, the, the lip sync, you know, when the audio goes out of sync or if it's just a bad choice of song or just bland music, you know, it can really, you know, it can take a like or, you know, counterpoint, it can you, the right music can take a, a an emotion, you know, an emotional moment and just bring it up to 11. Yep. You know, and that's, you know, and, you know, not that um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World isn't going to be like, you know, it's not, you know, and I, I don't think it won any awards or anything like that. Like, but the music is perfect for this, the vibe of the, sh- of the movie and for just the fun in general. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and then, you know, and then we're, we're both gamers of a sort, you mm-hmm. know, so the, the, the game, you know, the kind of all the kind of callbacks to old school Nintendo games and yeah, you know, even like, you know, like in like the first, uh, the first fight, you know, he, he knocks out and you hear the KO, which you hear in street fighter and any other fighting game. Yep, exactly. You know, it was, so Edgar Wright has this way of, um, taking the mundane and making it into something really interesting and action packed. He did that to perfection in my opinion, in Hot Fuzz, where something like doing the paperwork for the cops, he turned into the way he cut it. And so he does stuff like that in here too, but then he also, he he mixes music, and in this one, he brought in a lot of video game references, as you mentioned, perfectly. He apparently wrote a letter to Nintendo of America to be able to get permission to put that opening bit from Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, in the beginning of the movie. Because it was, was, as he phrased it, the lullaby of our generation. (laughs) <laughs> and it's yeah. perfect and it's such a great opening to the movie and it really sets the tone right away and the whole and like it, pre-credit sequence and, is great yeah and it and it's such and the thing is it's it's not a lot it's not like the whole theme it's just that intro mm-hmm. you know magical sound of like you know we're transporting you know and it even says like you know in a in a completely different world on i think it's ontario or toronto toronto yep and it's like we're taking you to a mystical land called Toronto. It's like, <laughs> you yeah. know. Well, and that's that's something. So, like I say, I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. I love Shaun of the Dead. I love Hot Fuzz as one of my probably five favorite movies. I can watch that anytime. Mm-hmm. He has this way of creating these worlds that are it's our world, but it's like it's a hyper realistic version of it. Mm-hmm. So it's got this weird veneer that sits over top of everything. And that's why I can absolutely buy this movie in the middle of a band being on stage, some dude just bursts through the the ceiling of the building that they're in and they start this gigantic fight and it's like normal. No one bats an eye at it. Yeah, and everyone's just like watching the fight like, oh, yeah, they're fighting. Okay, cool. Like, oh, yeah, must <laughs> be know? Thursday. Um, yeah, I love, and and he's got a way of <laughs> If only more battle work. of the bands, if only more battle of the bands were solved that way. Yeah, no doubt. Actual <laughs> battles. That was a great scene towards the end with the, uh, the twins and they had the battle. Oh yeah, with the... Um... Oh, is it Kazakaki? I, I, I can't pronounce it. I, I can't but remember. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The, and and every and it's funny because every single fight has its own style to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, the, and it's... It's different you know, choreography and fighting, like, motif. Yeah. And it's also, like, it's also not just, you know, like, okay, everything's just a straight-up brawl. Like... You know, when, okay, yeah, he fights Matthew Patel straight up because that's just, he's the first boss, if you will. In any mm-hmm. video game, the first boss is just usually a knock, is just, 
hit them more times than they hit you. Yeah, exactly. You know, later on when it's like, okay, he can't, you know, um, I think of the third fight um, when the dude's just thrashed him and he's got psychic powers and he can't, you know, actually physically fight him. He tricks him. Yep, he tricks him. You know, and he trick he tricks him into you know into into uh, drinking um, a non-vegan glazed coffee, which kills vegan powers. Yeah, and that that whole sequence was great <laughs> to me. Number one, which has which has so many like great quotables to it. Too. Oh yeah, Just, and like, and what a great cameo too. The vegan police show up, and it's Thomas Jane <laughs> and Clifton Collins Jr. And I was like, yeah, I mean that was one of those moments like that. And, um, the well, moment... and there's some, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, there was that moment and there was a moment earlier on when, um, when knives shows up at his house and there's a yeah. quick, like five second thing where the door opens up and you see Michael Sarah dive one way and they close the door and she's like, is he here? <laughs> yeah. And he dives out the window. No, he just left. Like I had to pause yeah. the movie. I was laughing too hard at that point. It was killing. Yeah, and that's, I mean... that's like, that's Edgar Wright staging mm-hmm. and humor to a T. And there and, and and this was actually a good like because I, I I saw the movie like back when it first came out. My girlfriend at the time took me um, because I actually I think I'd actually read the comics first. Okay. Um, you know, and this is well, actually, well, I can't remember if I did or not. Um, but either way, um, you know, and I loved the style of it at the time because I, you know, again, gamer, you know. And everything like that but you know watching it again like i was just reminded of so many just hilarious moments that still to me stand up mm-hmm. oh yeah. you know in fact and, for, for me the least believable thing in this entire movie was mm-hmm. the amount of time that brandon ralph's character sat there without mentioning that he was vegan that to me was the least believable thing. <laughs> i mean fair <laughs> And look, I have nothing against vegans, okay? I just like to make no, the joke. No, but we all yeah, same here, but we have, all have we, we know those those vegetarian and vegan people who, you know, how do you know if they're vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, uh, the other yeah. the other thing uh the other part of that is how do you tell if somebody is if the, somebody is vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. and they do CrossFit, which one do they tell you about first? Oh yeah, great. <laughs> exactly. No, but um, like there was there was just so many of those like moments that I can tell are going to be funny to me every time I see it. Um, yeah, and that was one with him diving out the window, uh, just because mm-hmm. it was that was such brilliant, quick hitting like physical humor that isn't. Yeah, it's not slapstick. Well, and just and and just the structuring of of the camera shot, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, like you know. Oh, you can see him like dive behind the the door and then his roommate, you know, kind of closes the door slightly and you see him jump out the window and then you see him reach back and grab his coat and, yeah. you know, but the the camera, you know, the camera's, you know, kind of centered, then it moves off to the side. Like it's almost from Nye's perspective in a way. Yep. You know, and it's, you know, it's also like, of course, like, how did you not see that? But, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you had mentioned about awards and I don't think this movie won any awards, but it also did not do well in the box office. Um, Mm -hmm. so it had an estimated budget of about $60 million. Mm -hmm. It made about half that in the U S and I think 47 million worldwide. So unfortunately it was, uh, a bust there. Mm -hmm. Now the, the thing that amazes me, like this movie could still get made today. 
And I think, I think 10 years after it still holds up, but you wouldn't make it for 60 million anymore because all the actors in it would need too much money. It's amazing. The cast that was in this, like I mentioned well, the, and, the cameo and, with and, Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins jr. But well, and, yeah. And it's, it's hilarious to me to see this now and to go back, <laughs> you know, like, you know, we talked about it, you know, in another discord about how it's, you know, it's, um, wow. I just blanked on it. It's captain America. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, like, well, so you got Anna Kendrick, you have, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Mary mm-hmm. Elizabeth Weinstead, you have, um, just so many actors and actors and, and even, um, and I'm blanking on her name, of course, cause I'm really terrible about actors names, but you've got, um, Captain Marvel in there. Yeah. Brie Larson. You know? Yeah. Brie Larson. Thank you. So, uh, at the you know, time you have that... all these kind of later star- stars yeah, that absolutely. at the time were just not really well known. Yeah. Cause really, I mean, Michael Sarah at the time this came out was probably one of the more well-known people in it in 2010. If you think yeah. about it, cause, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger came out the year after this. So Chris Evans was yeah. known. He had done fantastic four. He had done some things, but he hadn't blown up yet. Um, yeah. Brandon Routh had done Superman already, but that probably hurt him more than it helped him in some ways, especially at that point. Cause it was still only a couple years later, but mm-hmm. you know, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Anna Kendrick, um, and, uh, Brie Larson hadn't blown up the way that they have now. Like not at all. There's no way you could get them and it was for even, that size roles. And it, it was even a while for like Brie Larson to, to, That's true. to really blow up. You know, yeah. So and Mary Elizabeth Winstead too. You mentioned, and she, and yeah. they're all great. Like every, all of them are great in this, because the way it's written and the way it's performed is meant to be over the top. Like Brie Larson is super melodramatic in all of her lines. Yeah, and well, she, she she's she's supposed you know, to be. She's, she's the femme fatale. Yeah, she's the uber bitch. Yeah, you yep. know the one that's you know breaks Scott's heart, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Um, and is a reason he's the way he is, which, yeah. um, if you've read the con, like, and that's the kind of the funny thing about watching this versus having read the comics, like the comics expend, like, and the comics, you know, and obviously comics are always going to tell more of the story. It's like, they have more. you know, like, um, manga is always going to be more in depth than the anime. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's the whole kind of point of it is like, yeah, she's just there to be an uber bitch. And it turns out like, no, Scott was the dick. <laughs> yeah. As we learned throughout yeah, we, the movie. You come that, to find out like, that, yeah, Scott is not a good guy at all. No. I mean, really, he's he's the I mean, hero and in of fairness, the story. But... And in fairness, no one on this show is good or on this movie is good. No, for the most part, I would say that. But I mean, like Knives is innocent for the most part not, like she, knives is the, knives the only one that like is somewhat redeemable yeah. and she gets it the worst <laughs> right spartacus in the chat was saying he was trying to place who that was and didn't realize it was brie larson yeah that was uh a, i mean this movie's 10 years old yeah. which is the crazy part to me i yeah. keep i kept thinking like i keep seeing you know scott pilgrim versus the world 2010 but it didn't mm-hmm. set in this movie is older do you remember a movie with um <sighs> Stifler's in it. It's called Goon. It's about the hockey hockey player. Um, uh, I think I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. That movie's not as old as this. Like it, right. weird. It's this weird thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, 
the way like the way some of the characters are portrayed, they're supposed to be way over the top. So like Brandon Routh, I thought was excellent as uh, mm-hmm. Todd. Um, Captain America, I mean Chris Chris Evans was great. He was playing the cocky. Oh God, you know, seeing Chris Hollywood. Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans as like the bad boy tryhard was just hilarious. Especially it was so good. Especially now that he's like almost literally the embodied. Like he's such a good dude. You know, he's literally almost he's pretty much captain america at this point yeah so to see him as like trying to you know playing the bat like and he did it well like he did it in the cartoony like bully type of way mm-hmm. but it was still like it's funny to see them now versus <laughs> you know see them what i know about them now versus the back then yes um oh and like, uh... it's it's way past my bedtime said young neil was innocent in this yes you're right him yes. too he, he's also and it was he's now he is now Neil. He's no yes. longer known as young Neil. <laughs> so it wasn't until after the movie was done um, mm-hmm. that I caught not I caught young Neil to an extent, but I didn't yeah. realize that the other character's name was um, Stephen Stills. Yeah. So you had Stephen Stills and you had Neil Young. Mm-hmm. They were just missing a Crosby in there. Yeah, there's <sighs> a lot of like there's a lot of like no like blinking you miss it. Oh, tons. I can see a lot of rewatchability in this to catch just, just if nothing else to catch all the little Easter eggs in there, which again, that's an Edgar Wright thing. Like he does that. Yeah. I mean, like, that's what I say, like rewatching it again today, it was just like, oh yeah, I remember like all of these stuff and why I actually really (laughs) did enjoy the movie. So I will say this. I am not the biggest Michael Sarah fan. I think that he was good in this and that, Mm -hmm. For the character that they were going for, he was cast correctly. I think he yeah. was cast well. I just am not a big fan of his. So, like this and even Super Bad, I saw and I enjoyed Super Bad for mm-hmm. what it was. But he never really did anything for me. I never, I never loved his character and him on Arrested Development. I think he's a little bit one note. He's good in this, but. He well, doesn't draw is, me to it, which is part of why I never got around to watching it because I'm like, eh, Michael Sarah, whatever. Well, and this is this is you know, and again, I'm not a huge Michael Sarah fan either, you know. But this is perfect a perfect role for him to mm-hmm. be this really awkward, you know, and I can't even say nerdy because it's it's not nerdy. It's just like I, I guess the best way you could say is like inconsiderate. Like he just doesn't think about anything literally, but himself. Well, he doesn't think about himself, but he also doesn't make any decisions. So one of the things yeah. that I did after watching this was, um, if you've ever watched a YouTube, um, series called movies with Mikey, it's mm-hmm. Mikey Newman. He did uh, a breakdown of this movie and he brings that up. He's like, the man has no agency. He refuses to make any decisions the entirety yeah. of the movie. He's an anti-hero. And, 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 Again, like referencing the comics, that's what Scott Pilgrim is in the comics mm. until like he he doesn't make decisions until like he has no other choice, you know, and then even then it's, you know, it's, you know, when he like, you know, in the movie, he, you know, goes up to Ramona after, you know, battling the Katsunagi twins, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm in lesbians with you. And it's like. <laughs> Oh, I meant to say I said lesbians. What the hell? <laughs> you know? Even though it takes him like five minutes to make that realization. Right. It's not till yeah. after they leave. But... It's not till after she's gone that he's like, oh, I said lesbians, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but as much as I can say I'm not a big Michael Sarah fan, he's good in this. Um, 
I can't yeah. picture anyone else really playing that role with that kind of awkwardness. Um, no, the, he was. That was a perfect. And I think this was one of those roles that really, like, the, yeah, it flopped, but it put him over in a way, or started to put him over as like, no, he can play this. I mean, yeah, he just plays what we, you know, it's kind of like the Samuel L. Jackson type thing. Like he's my, he's Michael Sarah in every movie he, or show he's in. Yeah. He's just Michael Sarah. That's he's true. The awkward, really skinny kid. Yeah. You know, you're. He's not going to put on forty pounds and suddenly look like. <laughs> You know, oh, man, that would be like, weird. He, he's not going to do he's not going to do like what, um, you know, like Chris Evans does, who puts on 40 pounds and now he's Captain America. Right. He's not going to pull a you Chris know? Pratt and suddenly get. Yeah, exactly. He's not. You know, he's going to be the skinny, awkward kid that you don't know if you really like him or not. <laughs> That's fair. Um, Danny Ora in the chat brings up he's Hamlet, Scott Pilgrim. That's actually a pretty good comparison. Um. He would yeah. look. He would look like Carrot Top. Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> yes, he would. Yeah. He would look like Carrot Top, but Carrot Top with no chin. Yeah, because that's one thing. Michael Sarah has no chin. However, he can play bass, and that was one well, of the cool things. Barely. <laughs> well, no. So from what I was, uh, I, I watched a behind the scenes thing, and they were showing because um, the three piece band they they played the songs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the music in this um, back wrote all their songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they would perform them, but neither um, what's his name, Mark Weber, or Allison Pill had played either of those instruments before they were cast in this movie. So they right. had to train them two to play. But Michael Sarah could already play. Mm-hmm. And according to one person, they were like, "Yeah, he's kind of got to dumb it down a little bit so he doesn't overdo. So he looks like he's at the same level as them." Yeah, because they're playing, they're playing, you know, this kind of lo-fi punk, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, it's not pop punk, it's kind of this indie punk thing that they it's have kinda... going on with Sex Bomb. Yeah. So you know, it's like, yeah, you're not playing. You know, it's it's funny because in the he when he battles um, the third guy, you know, they have a bass battle, and the first thing the guy play, the first thing, and I don't know if you recognize it, but he plays a riff out of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, yeah, no, he's, you know, like in the movie, he's completely outclassed, but that's what they do. Like Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not, he's not here going to be playing Les Claypool. He's going to be playing punk rock. Yeah. It's supposed to be kind of a noise punk, really mediocre. Yeah. So, but I just thought it was interesting that he can, you know, he came into it already able to play. Right. Um, But, and credit to Mark Weber and uh, Allison Pill for being able to play at the level they did. Oh Yeah. I mean, they all did well again for what they were doing. That was it was perfect. And I thought it was awesome that Beck wrote their songs because I'm I'm a big fan of Beck. I yeah, have been yeah, yeah. since mid '90s. Mm-hmm. So that was I didn't realize that till afterwards. It was during watching the credits when I saw oh he wrote and then I see his name coming up for like half the songs. So, <laughs> um, let's see, Jason Schwartzman, who I hadn't really seen in a whole lot since I watched Rushmore, mm-hmm. I liked him in this. He there was something about the way he played Gideon that I just liked because I I don't know what it was maybe he was just like just sleazy enough to play he that was, character well, but and like the thing charmingly was, yeah well it was charming swarmy somewhat likable if you don't look too hard yeah you know he was he he was he was kind of supposed to be that kind of you know, that 
hip indie producer kind of thing um but in but as still as a skeezy you oh, know yeah. guy but, yeah apparently he had like a mind control chip in uh, Ramona's head mm-hmm. which is i had a feeling because they're playing under my thumb when he shows up in the car and yeah, so yeah. it's one of those things where i'm like okay she and, that was and, one of- and she says you know i can't i can't quit him or whatever i can't leave him so yeah. i'm like all right he's got something over her but i didn't know what it mm-hmm. was and, and there's so many, and and I love that you pointed that out because I didn't notice that the first time, and I noticed that when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, like, and there was again, like, just the perfect music or line at the perfect time, and there were so many of those just throughout the movie. Oh yeah, yep. You know and that's that, a... like, you don't, you don't, wouldn't have picked it out until you see it. You know, you watch it again, and it's like, oh, that's completely foreshadowing what's going on here. Yep, that is uh that is an Edgar Wright trait. Like if you go back and mm-hmm. watch Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, he does it's all oh, yeah. over those movies. Oh like, yeah. Absolutely. Every song has a purpose for where when it's played and where it's played. Um, and that again, that stuff like me as an audio person, I love that. I mm-hmm. love you know, and you know, because it, it doesn't have to be an entire song. It can just be a line, it can be just a riff, it can be you know, and it's one of those like again, you know, I go back to the third battle first riff he plays that's right off a of red hot chili pepper song it's like oh i know that mm-hmm. you know yeah. and no one else would know they would just know oh, okay he just played a badass riff yeah you know nope, you're not wrong um so i always like to point out when people play like way off of their age and it, it always happens when you have people that are supposed to be you know mm-hmm. high school age i talked about it with yeah. hackers i talked about it um with saving private ryan where you've got a mm-hmm. bunch of people that are playing, you know, older. They're older than what they should have been. Um, so Michael Sarah was twenty. Was playing twenty two, um, and he is he is younger than Anna Kendrick, who's supposed to be playing an eighteen year old. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But the seventeen year old in it, Knives, Ellen Wong, mm-hmm. was twenty five when she made this. Wow, she was older than Michael Sarah. Wow, um, that. And I didn't think she looked seventeen, but she looked young. I would have, you know, I would have guessed around twenty. Um, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I'm I'm looking at pictures of her now, and like she she has a young face. She does. Um, and so, like them playing that up, like I didn't know she was. I actually did not know she was older uh, when the movie came out. So that's interesting. And Kieran Culkin, Macaulay's brother, um, mm-hmm. was in this, and he. He was, um, I liked him. I, I, I liked the character of Wallace as the comic relief kind of one-liner. Um, mm-hmm. And he had another one of those moments that made me laugh out loud when he comes in the house and he's like, guess who's drunk? And he throws his <laughs> keys at him and just slams and hits him the right bed. in the head. <laughs> hits him right in the head with the keys and just slams onto the bed. That, uh, yeah, like, Wallace, Wallace, Wallace was probably, probably one of my favorite characters just because like, he was completely shameless and... Mm-hmm. You know, like, right, you know, like, just right, like, he's a man whore and he doesn't care. Right. And, you know, not one tiny bit. And... He, he, like, you know, uh, you know, like the first show, you know, Stacy so- shows up with a guy and Wallace steals him away. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then in the next scene, they're in bed together. And those, <laughs> you know, those scenes always lecturing, lecturing Scott Pilgrim about, yeah, the shitty thing he did. I love those those shots. Those are more of those Edgar Wright moments where like Scott Pilgrim wakes up and then 
Wallace wakes up next to him, and then other Scott wakes up next to them. And then another guy, and yeah. then another guy. <laughs> and like those, that kind of stuff just, it always makes me laugh, and it's it's such a thing that he can do. He can pull off like those kinds of things so mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, I did read, so this was this was Edgar Wright's first U.S. film. And granted, it was a U.S., uh, Canadian. I think there was a Japanese company involved in making it. But this was the first film mm-hmm. he made that was outside of England. So he mm-hmm. didn't want any English actors in it. He wanted to try and get away from that. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have any English actors except for um, the guy that played uh, Matthew Patel, the first guy he fights, who huh. hid his accent for the first audition. So that he could yeah. get through that first audition. He didn't want to have the English accent at all. And then nice. later said, no, I'm actually born in London. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think it worked really, really well. Um, it's interesting because the whole movie takes place in Canada. And they make mm. mention of that a few times. They even have like nice little subtle things. Like when they're on the movie set and there's a New York mm. City backdrop. Yeah. And he gets thrown through it and you see the Toronto backdrop. Because mm-hmm. a lot of movies that are shot in New York are shot in Toronto. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what else with the cast. I mean, that's that's kind of it. Like, that's the major bulk of the cast. I Johnny Simmons is a young Neil. Young Neil was fun. Mm-hmm. He was just, he kept repeating it, what everybody said, and he was just there for the ride, but then yeah. he gets to be in the band at the end. Right. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So I had seen, what year was it that... She did a Final Destination movie. I think it was the third one mm-hmm. um, prior before this. I mean, she's been acting mm. since the late 90s. Um, Final Destination. Yeah, she was in uh, three. Like she was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yep. Uh, Death Proof she was in. Um, she was the uh, cheerleader in Death Proof. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she played um, Bruce Willis's daughter in Live Free or Die Hard. Yep. So I'd seen her in a few things prior to this. Um but she, you know, again, her hers is a career that kind of took off after this. Like it really got going with mm-hmm. things like Ten Cloverfield Lane. She did the re, uh, the sequel or sequel slash remake of the thing. Um, and then uh, what was the other? Oh, she was actually just in uh, the Har- Holly Quinn movie. Yes. Yeah. Yep. She was Huntress, and yeah, sadly underused. I think in that movie, like they could have had more of her because mm-hmm. I thought her character was interesting, but um, she was great in it like playing that kind of almost she was really hamming up like the, the tragic backstory character for that movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. it worked really well, but she does a good job of playing a lot. She has a, 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 I think a pretty good amount of range so I can buy her being that character and being this manic pixie dream girl in this and yeah. being, you know, someone that's someone that's a little bit more innocent. Um, I really like her. So it was nice to see her in this. Yeah, I didn't get to see the. I still, again, that's another movie that's on the list to watch is uh, the Birds of Prey movie. It's good. Um, but yeah, she was fun in this, and you know, again, I I kind of refer back to the comics. Like, there's a lot of things that they didn't go into with her with her background. Like, it was kind of hinted that, you know, she did some shitty stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I I didn't I should have read the comic again, but like. It's a reveal, like, and, and, you know, I think this is kind of the prime theme of the movie of, like, you know, 
look, we all do shitty things, especially as kids and teenagers, you know, yeah. or we, we've had bad relationships, you know, and we're done bad things in relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, at some point it's like, okay, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, right. you, at you, some point you, you have move. to take responsibility for it, but you know, you have, you have to take responsibility and move on and try to do better, but not just, you know, let seven evil exes control you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh man, I had something and I lost what it was. Hopefully it comes back to me, but, uh, yeah, I just, I think, um, uh, I got derailed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nope. You're, you're fine. It'll come back to me. Um, so, oh, uh, I think it had to do with, oh, the comic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the comic, so this was optioned as a film after mm-hmm. the first volume of the comic came out mm-hmm. and there were six volumes. What yeah. I thought was kind of neat was the fact that they were working on the screenplay for this as he was working on the other volumes of the comics. Mm-hmm. So they finished the screenplay before the sixth volume came out. So there are differences. I did uh, I did a little bit of research on that. I wouldn't yeah, mind finding does, them to read it. Yeah, that does make sense. Because um, obviously I think the comic in... kind of expands more. It, it deals with other characters and gives them more time and their point of views and stuff like that. Whereas the movie really streamlined it to like Scott and his story. Yeah. Cause um, you actually, cause in the, in the comics, you actually like kind of follow everybody, not just Scott. Like he's still the focal, him and Ramon is still the focal point, but it's mm-hmm. really this group of friends Yeah, that, you know, you, you see all their, you know, like, um, uh, let me find him. Brian you Lee know, O'Malley is the, the writer of that, by the way. Um, nice and that's what but he like, is known for you know for example um you know uh wallace you find out more about uh God, who am i looking at the 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 guitar player oh um, uh steven stills yeah like steven stills and uh julie have like a whole this on again off again relationship throughout the entire comics like mm-hmm. one minute they're broken up one minute they're together type thing and then right. you know again I think we all knew those people in, you know, high school or college or even now where it's like they're just a terrible they're terrible together but they keep coming together and then separating and then coming together and separating and that's the crux of their entire relationship. <laughs> so Phelan in the chat is mentioning in the comics he picks knives at the end. Um was that right? I know that there was an alternate ending uh... to the movie where they had him end up with knives. And they changed it to Ramona, but I thought I read, and I could be wrong on this, I thought I read that he was with Ramona at the end of the comics, too. I can look it up real quick. But, Hold on. Uh, Way Past My Bedtime is even saying that it, uh... so, I don't know, I could be I could be completely wrong on that. I haven't read them. I'm assuming that you have. Um... Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, okay. Uh... No, he wait, wait, let me go back. No, he ends up with Ramona. Okay. Cuz I know that I read and I had seen once before that there was an alternate ending where he where he ends up with knives. He chooses her instead, which kind of makes more sense in a way. Yeah. Um I almost I almost wish they had stuck with that cuz I think I I would have liked that ending. Well, and they even tried that, 
you know, and she's like, oh, go get her. You're too, I'm too young for, or I'm too cool for you or whatever. Like, right. it's funny how you see knives kind of grow up a lot mm-hmm. through the movie. And, you know, she's probably one of the only characters that really had character development. You know, she went from just the little high school girl to kind of a badass. Yeah. And really, if you think about it, uh, Scott never does make a single decision of his own, even at the end. You know, even even when he's reached that point, it's still someone yeah. else that tells him to do what whatever he's doing. He like he just has no agency. Well, the only one he does is when he finally de- decides to kind of fight Gideon. Right when he uses his extra life, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, which I I loved that. That was a great a great thing to to go back through and and redo the level because um, mm-hmm. it was a nice little callback. They didn't make a huge deal out of him getting the extra life, but then like you remember it cause it didn't happen that long prior. So then yeah. to make that callback and he gets into it, uh, I thought it was cool. Just the slight changes that they did and, and all of that. I really enjoyed that. And again, it was, you know, it's that video game thing. Like mm-hmm. you get a, you get another life. So, you know, I love that. I love that scene because, you know, the first time he goes to, um, the, the club, he has to deal with, you know, the guards and, you know, and yeah, they're brief. It's just like, okay, what's the password? Really? Okay, go on. You know, <laughs> that that did crack then, me up too. You know, and then he confronts the band, and then he confronts Gideon, and Gideon calls his goons in, and he fights, and it's a you know decently long battle, and then he fights Gideon and he loses. Then he gets the he gets the extra life, or we get the scene with him and Ramona, and then mm-hmm. he gets the extra life, and he just blazes through it because that's what you like. If you've beat you know if you already beaten the level, you know what to expect, so you're just gonna fly right through it yeah you know and yeah that's a movie choice but that's also a stylistic choice absolutely which I was interesting and i like that it was the variance and it was like him kind of making right with everybody too the second time yeah. around that self yeah that, that uh that realization of those things he'd been doing well wrong. that's a in and again that's a video game to me that's a huge video game reference because you know we've all you know we played rpgs where like oh you choose the bad you know you choose yeah. the bad uh dialogue option and then you fight and you lose and you go back and you're like okay well now if i do this dialogue and this dialogue i get the best ending <laughs> yeah that's true that's very true um it, i'll tell you what this movie actually hooked me within the first five seconds and it was the 8-bit universal logo and the 8-bit uh music for the universal oh opening. yeah yeah that, oh, yeah. that got me um and and i think that's like and you know i mean i didn't I'm not one to read uh, critics or know much about like I, I'm 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 kind of a pure enjoyment watcher when it comes to movies. Like I want to watch, I I just watch it because I want to see what happens. Yeah, I want to know. You know, I don't want to argue too much about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, certain things I'll argue about. You know, you know, you probably I don't know if you ever saw my, our discussion about Star Wars, but you know, that's also Star Wars. Right. Um but I don't like, I just, it's to me, it's a fun movie and it, it, it touches on all like, you know, my childhood of the 8-bit games, the Nintendo universe, the yeah. Legend of Zelda themes, the fights, the style, you know, just the whole style of it. Like I loved it. Ironically, they made a game out of this movie that did not come out on Nintendo. It no, came out on it, PlayStation and did. Xbox. Yep, it did. And I did have it. And it was actually that it was a fun beat 'em up brawler. 
I've heard that. And it's it's one of the few times where you can have a book, movie, and video game all based on the same property that are all actually good. Well, again, like the the I think the game just like kind of the movie and the book and the books are kind of this underground type thing where like yeah, they didn't have huge success because it's a very specialized audience that you're hitting. Yeah. You know. That's... And even the game, the game was, you know, just it was a beat 'em up brawler. It wasn't about the story at all. It was a side scrolling. It was like Final Fight, but it was fun. It was fun to play and it had references to the comics and to the game. And that's smart. I mean, if you're going to have some kind of a tie-in uh, like that, do make yeah. it be its own thing so it can stand on its own and just just have right. it be something fun. Yeah. Um, if you didn't, if you hadn't seen the movie or, or read the comics, it was just a fun two D beat them up but if you had read them you get that extra enjoyment out of them perfect uh now i do like to um also i I like to go through my uh my imdb trivia and i always take it with a grain of salt but if if i believe this bit of trivia we have some uh thanks to give to quentin tarantino for part of this movie because originally it only opened with a title card and that was it and Tarantino, because Edgar Wright showed it to Tarantino, and I think Kevin Smith and there was somebody else, because I saw them in this like special thanks. Um, Tarantino suggested having the opening title sequence the way that they did it, um, mm-hmm. kind of late into the process, um, because the way that they had it set up, there was so much information getting thrown at the viewer that it could get confusing. So. They went through and did that, and honestly, I'm really glad they did because I love the opening titles. I love the song that plays. Yeah, and I really like that style, and you get a little you get little bits of information about all the characters, so it gives you it gives you a lot of information in an easily digestible way. That even if you're not if you don't consciously realize it, it's like it's stuff that again, kind of on that uh, those rewatches, you'll pick up more. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's a brilliant choice. And if that is the case, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I've always liked Tarantino as a, as a director, mm-hmm. oh, you yeah. know, I love a lot, love his movies. So, you know, that kind of makes sense. Cause he understands things from a stylistic perspective. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're not as, as avid of a gamer, it's a cute little opening scene that, you know, but if you're a huge gamer, you're like, Oh, that's Zelda. And Oh, that's awesome. And yep. you know, Exactly. Uh, let's see. Phelan said uh, in the original version of the film, Scott actually ended up with knives instead of Ramona. This is this alternate ending was scrapped because of Brian Lee O'Malley's decision to end the story without with Scott getting Ramona, rather than his original plan to have Scott end up alone. Uh, Ramona is also somewhat colder in the movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, well, oh, I'll, more I'll, I'll, I'll touch that in a minute. Okay. I'll touch that in a moment. Uh, so that viewers would sympathize more with knives and thus accept the fact that it was her he ended up with when the final version Scott ended up with Ramona nonetheless. Okay. Um, yeah. And I would agree on the Ramona being colder uh, in the movie wise, but, and again, like in, in the graphic novels, like there's a lot more reason why she is that she is like she, you know, and she even mentions it in the movie, she literally went to Toronto to start a whole new life. You know, because she had been from New York and was involved with Gideon and all these exes and everything like that. So right. she ran to Toronto to get away from that all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and that happens in there. But even in the in the comics, you know, there's there's a part where she just disappears. She just straight up disappears. 
Yeah. And I and there's a confrontation that. there's a confrontation between Scott and 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 um uh Gideon, you know, and they they start fighting and then they're like, "Yeah, Ramona's with you." No, Ramona's wait, what? You know. <laughs> and then she like I think she comes back and then because in the comics it's also about like ramona finding her own self-respect like you know you had the scene in the movie where you know after the first time he dies to gideon he gets the extra life goes through back you know and he's like oh you're doing this for her and he's like no i'm doing this for myself oh scott gains the power of self-respect yeah you know and that happens in in the comics but there's also a big scene where ramona kind of breaks out of gideon's hold Okay. on her own hmm. um which you know is unfortunate that you know and obviously this is you know it's different mediums so you know films are always going to have to leave stuff on cutting room floor yeah you know and i think it's unfortunate that ramona didn't get really the plot development she was just kind of like you said the manic pixie chick yeah i mean i think so if this hadn't gotten optioned immediately after it was written and mm-hmm. you waited, say, the 10 years, and you were making this now, this would play really well as a Netflix-style, you know, 10-episode series. Absolutely. Even if you only did it once, Absolutely. that would allow for all the expanded story um, that you get. I mean, you could, you could pretty much do, like, Even a, a Witcher-style. Yeah, I mean, you can do it six, probably probably 12 episodes, two ep- two, uh, two, uh episodes per book mm-hmm. yeah i could see um that. you know and i think you know and like you said you know you can do a witcher type thing or like many of these others that are like you can't do a witcher as a movie but you can do the witcher as a netflix show right you know and tell the story over a longer timeline over more episodes where you can do more stuff yeah you know and, and fate... i think and, and i agree like this would you know this would definitely uh work as something like that i think i think so phelan brings up the point that the book series takes place over the course of a year whereas the movie takes place over the course of about three weeks yeah. because she I mentions even, i think it's even longer than a year isn't it I could i'm be not wrong. sure i know in the movie she mentioned she changes her hair color about every week and a half and she changes right. it twice during the movie yeah. she goes from pink to blue to green so well and, and scott Holt, and that's the thing like the movie touched on it briefly but scott has a whole complex about his hair because mm-hmm when he was with um with uh Brie Larson's character um oh yeah with name? envy or yeah Nat. when he was when he was with Natalie before she became envy mm-hmm. she made a comment kept commenting about this hair and he got his hair cut and that's when she left him yeah there's more to it than that you know she cheated on him um and she also became kind of the big rock star yeah. you know initially it was just them two you know, both being music friends and she became this kind of rock star, whereas he got left behind, you know? So again, like there's so many nuances to these relationships that you don't get to see because we're just talking a hour and a half movie versus, you know, a six book comic series. Yep. Yeah. Like, uh, apparently in this comic series, um, what is it? Todd cheats on envy with the drummer. And the yeah. drummer is a whole other character that basically isn't even in the movie. So I, I'm going to have to well, find the drummer. These. The she, drummer she shows is, up. She appears. But Yeah, she appears, but th- she's also not a huge character. It's just revealed that Todd 
cheats on oh, okay. Envy with her. And then, and you still had the vegan police right. show up, which, you know, is still one of my favorite. Like, I, I, love, I love that. Like, watching that again. And, you know, my friends and I reference that every so often. It's like, you know, oh, uh, that's, uh, oh, you had gelato. Yeah, that's milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, I love the band names too. So Sex Babam. Um mm-hmm. that's that's hilarious. You had yeah. uh The Clash at Demonhead. And mm-hmm. I thought that they were referencing the game and then looking at trivia, they they were the the game Clash mm-hmm. at Demonhead, which I never played, but I remember Nintendo Power having like a big write up on it when it came out. Um mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So uh what was the um and then it, you had uh, um, was it Dave and God, Dave was, and the boys? Dave and the boys, or, yeah. Uh, not Dave and the boys. It was uh, God damn. No, I just um, I have a terrible. Oh man, now I can't remember. I, I, I'll look it up. Um, they had uh, my favorite song in the whole thing, which I actually I have a sound clip of the entire song, so I kind of want to play it. Go for it. All right, so this this um, clip is thirteen seconds long, and this is the entirety of the song. Um, that one of the songs that they played for the Battle of the Bands. This song is called I Am So Sad. Oh, I'm yeah. So very, very sad. <laughs> Goes a little something like this. Crash into the of it. And that's it. <laughs> and that was apparently written by a Broken Social Scene. Um, oh, that's an actual song? Uh, for the movie, it was written. Uh, Broken Social oh, okay. Scene is a Canadian band, but they did... That one, and there was like one other one. Uh, Crash and the Boys, yes. Yeah, Crash and the Boys, that was it. Um, um, yeah, I love that. Cause, and, and the I, thing is, like, if anybody's ever been to a Battle of the Bands, there's almost always somebody that does something like that. Or I've seen that before, like these little two-second songs. Um, uh, that must have been a different – that must be a different scene because I've played I, in plenty of bands and – I've seen Played a few battle I've of the seen bands that and never seen, seen that before. <laughs> I think probably the most famous version of that is um, Napalm Death has a song that's like a second and a half long or something, or two seconds long. Um, huh. But I, you know, wow. that and like uh, they're not well, quite I, four seconds. But there's a band called The Locust, and. When I was visiting my cousin many, many years ago, he was in a band in New York, and his drummer gave me the CD, and it was one of those little mini CDs, so it was like half the size of a normal CD, and he gives it to me, and it was this band called The Locust, and it had, the whole thing was 21 minutes long, and had 23 songs on it. Hmm. (laughs) It was this like crazy kind of noise punk weird stuff, so I've heard stuff like that before. Yeah, I've... I've seen and read about stuff like that. Um, and, and I do love the scene with crash and the, like, I love their whole bit. Um, when, you know, they play the first song and, um, you know, uh, Oh, and Wallace, Wallace is, is heckling Wallace them. is like, it's not a race guys. And <laughs> yeah. they're like, Oh, we just, you know, we wanted to get, dedicate this next song to the guy in the balcony. That's screaming stuff. Uh, we hate you. Please die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because having played having played in bands and done shows, I've run into that guy that just screams yep. stuff, and it's either you know it's either it's either Freebird guy, mm-hmm. and I don't think Scotty's in the in the chat unfortunately, but he's one of those. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's it's the drunk Freebird guy, mm-hmm. or it's you know, in the metal scene, it's Play Slayer, right? Uh, or just people just yelling out stuff in the middle of a show. Yeah. Um, I also did see where Frank Black did a song on this. I always like seeing Frank Black from uh, mm-hmm. the Pixies. They mentioned the Pixies, so mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that was uh that his song was in there. Uh, I must have missed that one. T Rex as well. Um shows up. Brie Larson, of course, had a um, pop song, pop music career before she was acting. So mm. um, that is apparently her. I mean, she's doing she's doing the singing. Mark uh, Mark Weber did the singing for all the um, sex bomb stuff. So interesting. Did they did they say if uh, did uh, Michael Sierra actually do like the backup vocals or if that was just? I think so because if you. Um, Performed by Michael Sarah, Allison Pill, Mark Weber, Beck. Oh, okay, cool. So, you know, they had Plum Tree, um, who one of the shirts he's wearing is a Plum Tree shirt. I did like <laughs> the the references to Smashing Pumpkins. He wears the Zero shirt, and he wears a shirt with the SP heart on it, the Smashing Pumpkins heart um, at the mm-hmm. end, that green shirt that he's wearing. I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan for, for years. So uh, both the metric... And Clash at Demon Head versions. Oh, Black Sheep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, I'm I'm really learning a lot about the the music background of this, like, because I this isn't the the general music of the show is not songs I've listened to in the mm-hmm. past. Um, not to say that they're bad or anything. I'm just I'm more of a metalhead, so it's kind of funny to hear all these different references that are just that flew over my head i still enjoyed i mean the song placement and we talked about this earlier the song placement's still perfect mm-hmm. um oh. you know and even having like the 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 uh katsunagi brothers kind of play this kind of synth yeah they're playing uh, much more electronic, electronic stuff you yeah. know electronic music and you know having this huge speakers and then there you got three teenage kids playing punk <laughs> playing oh, lo-fi punk <laughs> i did like this and i'm gonna look for this the next time i watch the movie so apparently mm. at the beginning of the movie when they're practicing their amps um have uh it says like lame brand on them like the labeling oh and then i think i did see that i later, think i saw that yeah and then later on in the movie when after they get signed and he comes into the club and they're playing it has like uh something different like great band great brand or cool brand or something on all their gear, which is all you know, newer and nicer looking. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna look for that uh, the next time I watch this because I think that little things like I that are s- hilarious. I did see that in the Gideon scene because he has like it looks like he has like a Marshall head mm-hmm. um, or a Marshall, you know, some Marshall lookalike. But and I, I did see that it had something different in it. I just couldn't remember what it actually said. So that's uh, I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to remember. Look, if trying to look up you. the images right now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was you I was talking to that didn't like Rickenbacker basses or if it was somebody else I know. Oh, that's not me. I okay. like <laughs> somebody. Somebody and, I was talking to recently, we were talking about basses, and I mentioned Lemmy. And yeah. uh, he was like, oh, you know, it's great, except he plays Rickenbackers. And I'm like, wait, what's wrong with a Rickenbacker? And oh, I'll no. tell you what, I liked that uh, Rickenbacker that Michael Sarah has in this. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful, like, and as a, and... Rickenbackers are kind of like the quintessential ba- uh, punk bass. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a very, um, and I've played them before. 
Um, they kind of have a little more grit to them, a little more twang to them yeah. um, than kind of most basses. Um, and so, like, it's kind of perfect for what they're doing. What, you know, this, again, this lo-fi punk. And again, you, you reference, you know, Lemmy, who, you know, made, you know, played, uh, he played uh, Rickenbackers through Marshall Heads. Yeah. You know, that's his sound. You know, this is a bass through a guitar head. So, um, you know, yeah. So, no, I love I love the Rickenbacker. It, it hurt me when it got broken. Oh, I know. And then um, it got fixed with all the duct tape. And then, yeah. When, and then you had the, you know, the I'm broke, so I have to just duct tape this shit together. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, and that still hurt me. And it's like, uh, you know, it's like, because uh, Rickenbackers are, are great bases they're also um, not cheap no they are not <laughs> like even 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 the even the ripoff ones are still like a few hundred dollars mm. you know it's not like it's not like a fender where like fenders have you know 50 dollar versions right you know it's it's rickenbacker's pretty is is an iconic base so seeing that being you know and again seeing that again is just kind of awesome to me yeah, absolutely. No, it you know, I'm I'm a bit of a metalhead myself, but I like a lot of different styles of music and I've listened to a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff. So like I listen to a lot of the Pixies and I mentioned Beck earlier, Rolling Stone show up in this. Um mm-hmm. Beck was a big one for me. I there's something about his sound and like his style and how he varies things up. How he would do an oh, album absolutely. like Odelay and then he'd come back with you know, Midnight Vultures is very, very different. Like he, he was always reinventing and, and playing new stuff. So it was cool to see him do a lot of the arrangements for this, uh, this movie. Yeah. Um, Cause he did, uh, he wrote um, Threshold, the Ramona song, just that little simple song. I love that scene <laughs> Ramona. too. And then she's like, I can't wait to hear when it's finished. F- finished? He's like, oh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was great. There and was, a, and I would say that that's you know definitely obviously where the the mediums favor like the rare time the medium favors the movie more than the comics because in the book he actually does like I think they actually put like guitar tab on it or like the oh. the chords of the guitar on it, um, but obviously you don't get to hear it and you don't get to hear him kind of like moan it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like awkwardly sing it again as yeah, only Michael Sarah can do. As only Michael Sarah can, um, you know. And then you don't get all the music scene, like you, you know. I mean, the comics do a great job setting the scenes and everything like that, but you don't get to actually hear it and see it in action. That's true. You know, and then like we go back to the Matthew Patel fight. You know, he has his you know punk goth demon oh. girls behind him oh man that about that bollywood thing was was killing me that was, was so great like there were a lot of just laugh out loud moments in this and again i'm a huge edgar wright fan so he yeah does, and that's, he's he's like, good at hitting those spots for me personally and now do you recall like why or any reasons why yeah, the girls were cute the girls were <laughs> absolutely gorgeous um <laughs> all of them uh, did, the do you do you did you see any reason why like it didn't do so well or is there any like critics or anything that you read about? By I chance? didn't read about any critics. My guess is a combination of, I don't remember this being um, advertised a whole lot. I don't remember mm-hmm. much about it before it came out. And 
what's odd is its opening weekend was the same opening weekend as The Expendables ah. and Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, God. And it was the same oh, year. <laughs> it was the same year that Doomed Inception was out. <laughs> right. So The Expendables is going to hit a lot of this nostalgic, like, oh, I want to watch you know 80s action movie guy. And everyone yeah. else is going to go see Eat, Pray, Love. And this sort of fell through the cracks. It yeah. was like week five for Inception. So Inception was had a really long life. Yeah. In the theaters. And I think it just it just wow, didn't that get came, word of mouth. This came out during Inception. Holy yeah. crap. Well, and that just lets you realize Inception's ten years old too. Yeah. <laughs> Which didn't is realize insane. That. Um but I think it was just a confluence of like it, it what when it opened and what it opened against. It is very um niche, right? This is gonna this yeah. is gonna hit a certain subset of people. Like yeah, for I mean, me, it's, it's definitely to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you you've got to be either into like the indie music or comics or video games or some combination of those or, you know, it it just it's one of those things that where it hits, didn't it didn't do well. I think it would have done better, you know, ten years later or like like we were saying as like a, a series. I think financially it could have done better, but it's so well done and. As See, I, as an Edgar Wright I, fan, so I have now seen, um, and I'll have to look this up. So go ahead and say what you're saying while I, while I pull this up. Well, I'll say I don't know if it would work now. Um, I think, I, I think because a lot of the references are old, and you know, gamers are completely different this generation, and so I don't know if it would it. You know, I think it held up. But that's for us, for audiences like us that, you know, still kind of remembered in Nintendo days, whereas I don't think a lot of people now would get it. So yeah. I don't I don't know if it would hold up. Um, I think it, w- it would have been better if it was, like you said, a TV series. Um, now, of course, you, you do know. it there. You're probably not getting the same level of actors that you yeah, did but- on this. But at the same time... You can you can because you can have them for longer, so you can you can. Well, and even entice then, and even somebody. then, this movie wasn't based on star power. No, it really it wasn't. Like Michael Sierra, Michael Sierra was the biggest one, and even then, he was not that. He wasn't a lister. You know, no, he was still he had... very much an up up and comer during that time. He just had a few more spots on his resume. You know, and yeah, like now we see, you know, yeah, they definitely couldn't do it with, you know, with uh, Anna Kendrick and with um, any of the actors now. Chris Evans, you, you couldn't, or Brie Larson, you couldn't do it now because certainly money. not for the prices that they that they could have done it for ten years ago. I mean, Brie Larson's yeah. won an Oscar now, but right? you could do it with an unproven cast. This is true. You know, you can do it. You can take some either up and comers or some nobodies and make it into. You know, and you know, possibly break out some stars there. Yeah, no, this and and obviously they kind of did that with this movie. All right, so Edgar Wright to date has had five major motion pictures. He's done a bunch mm-hmm. of TV um, mm-hmm. and some video shorts and stuff. But his five major motion pictures are Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz, this mm-hmm. movie, The World's mm-hmm. End, and Baby Driver. Now you said you haven't seen Baby Driver, but you've seen the other four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I also one. There's a. Oh no, wait. This is just other. Okay, I don't think he did those. Never mind. And then I've um, seen. Go on. Sorry. I've seen all five of those. 
So I'm curious about, hey, Cursed Dragon Ship with a raid. Thank you. Bringing in oh, a couple hey. people for us. Awesome. Thank you for the raid. Um, so I, I saw Baby Driver recently. Um, the yeah. other three I've seen many times. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for the, the for the four that you have seen where this ranks for you as far as like Edgar Wright movies. Okay, so we said Hot Fuzz. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. The World's End. Okay, that one I did not see. Okay, so you've seen Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and this, Scott Pilgrim. Yes. You haven't seen his other two. Where would you no. stack this up against those uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz? Uh, I would have to say... See, it's kind of an apples to oranges thing because, you know, because with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, you've got, you know, the two main guys. Um, you've got um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Right. You know, and they're just a dynamic duo as far as comedy goes. Um, this is very true. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I'm, I mean, uh, yeah, Shaun of the Kelly says Shaun of the Dead wins. I agree. Um, you know, and because Shaun of the Dead is just a classic. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, probably uh, Hot Fuzz after it because that's another one. Um, but that was also kind of riding the wave of Shaun of the Dead. I don't think Hot Fuzz was as great as Shaun of the Dead. Mm. Um, we may have to have words here, not, sir. What's that? We may have to have words here, sir. So, well, I may have to I may have to rewatch because honestly, <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen them. Uh, just to me, Shaun of the Dead's the instant classic because it's just the the complete deconstruction of zombie movies, right? Which I love about that. Okay, um, you so, know, and, and and to an certain extent, like Scott Pilgrim is kind of a deconstruction of the high school romance movies mm-hmm. in a way, um, just a more stylized version. Um, you know, and then even Hot Fuzz is taking down kind of buddy cop movies. So right, so you know, uh, they're all. I mean, it, it, it's it's mainly because of Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright that I would put, you know, Shaun of the Dead and 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 I'm not sorry, not Edgar Wright, uh, Simon Pegg and and uh, Nick Frost ahead mm-hmm. of, you know, I'd put those two movies ahead of Scott Pilgrim just because. Okay. You know, those two are just they work so perfectly together, you know. And and every and the cast is great, but just those two in, will carry a movie. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, Michael Cera is not going to carry this movie. This movie was an ensemble cast. Very much. You so. know, and you know, and that's again like the comics where it's about the whole cast. It's just you know the movie just chose to focus on the parts with Scott Pilgrim in it. Um, you know, so and Michael Cera just is not a strong enough actor to carry a movie, as far as I'm concerned. That's fair. Um, so I've seen all five of the movies, and we've actually mm-hmm. covered now four of the five Edgar Wright films on this this very show. Um, mm-hmm. The only one we haven't is Shaun of the Dead, and that's only because I haven't yet found somebody who hasn't seen it that I've talked to. <laughs> that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> but for me, the pinnacle of them, the the my favorite is Hot Fuzz. It is a perfect deconstruction of every action film pretty much ever made. And the fact that it takes the whole idea of the way that especially American action films glorify the violence with police and kind of flips oh, on God, its head yeah. where the whole end of the movie is every action movie trope in one scene and no one dies. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that's... Yeah, the guy gets impaled on a freaking 
steeple. monument yeah. and yep. he doesn't die. Yeah. So for me, that's my favorite. And it's it's a combination of the Edgar Wright, the writing, Simon Pegg, mm-hmm. Nick Frost, all of it. It's just, it's perfect, uh, in my opinion. After that, I kind of have a toss-up. I love Shaun of the Dead because of what you said. It's a deconstruction of your... It's it's essentially a romance film masquerading as a zombie movie. It's really, really yeah. good at it. It's really good. But man, yeah. I'll tell you what, Baby Driver? Holy crap, was Baby Driver good. Like, it's... I can't... I have to watch it again. And you really should watch it, especially as, as somebody who's into music. Mm-hmm. Because I I've think heard, you're going to get I've a lot. I've heard really of it. good things about it, so yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. So for me, number the number two and three spots kind of can flip flop depending on my mood that day. If it's going to be Shaun of the Dead or if it's going to be Baby Driver, and then I put World the World's End behind those two, followed mm-hmm. by this. Saying this is my fifth favorite Edgar Wright film does not in any way make this a bad movie. It's just it doesn't have Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. It doesn't yeah. quite have what the other ones do. This is still better than most every movie I've seen. I mean, I would still put this in the upper upper tier of a lot of films that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's a, to me, it's a fun movie with great music, great sound that's, you know, touches on, you know, the gamer in me, the child, the child gamer in me, the Nintendo days and stuff like that. It's it's, you know, not to say it's a throwback, but it it. Uh, no, it's got it's got a little bit of it's got a lot of nostalgia in it. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Yeah, yeah. so it definitely tugs at those strings. Uh, it's well made. It, like yes. I say, it's got the Edgar Wright fingerprints all over it. Yeah, the, F- Phelan Phelan got it right. It's a fun movie that doesn't take itself seriously. That is key too, is it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, you know, because it's and, it's ridiculous and silly and stupid stuff going on, mm-hmm. but it's done in such a way that you just enjoy it. Even if you're well, it, like me, aren't a Michael Sarah fan, I can I can look past that and enjoy the movie more because well, of everything also, going on around it. It's also not ridiculous for the sake of ridiculous. No, you know, there's like because the thing is, there's you know, and kind of talking on uh, Chris Evans and 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 Brie Larson, like the reason I love the Marvel movies so much is they don't take themselves seriously. You know, even Endgame and even um, the one before. Infinity War? Infinity War, yeah. Even those, you know, have really great comedic moments in them that offset, you know, the terribleness. Um, But it's also not... I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, I would say Deadpool, but I love Deadpool. So that's a different type of movie. Yeah. You know, but there's... there's To me, there's a line when it's, okay, you're not taking yourself too seriously... And you're just being, or you're just being goofy to be goofy. Like, you know, and if that's what you're going for, like, you know, to me, it's, it's all what you're trying to get out of it. You know, if you're going to a movie to, you know, if you want to watch, okay. um, If you want to watch Super Troopers, Mm -hmm. okay. Super Troopers is a ridiculous goddamn movie. It It is. is hilarious and I love it and it's a fun movie, but there's no real plot there. No, that was that was just a collection of skits put together. Um and it was and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like and I love it. You oh, know, absolutely. This is not that. This is you know, this is a lot of nostalgia, but it's also a plot, also has some serious you know, some serious it just doesn't take itself 
too seriously. Correct. It recognizes it's a comedic movie. It's not trying to be like, you know, like, that's why I said it's kind of, to me, it's a deconstruction of, you know, the high school drama, you know, movies of like, oh, guy yeah, you're, you're... meets girl yep. and tries to get girl and then he loses girl and has to get her back and all that stuff. Yeah. All you those know. movies that have the manic pixie dream girls in them, this has that. But it's Edgar and Wright I, and, does such a good job of like satire and parody of these genres without, but but doing it from a place where it's like he likes that type of movie. Yeah, and that to me is the type of humor that works. Like this movie works because you can tell he's watched movies like that that he's trying to deconstruct. That's what makes Hot Fuzz, and I mentioned it when we did our review of that what makes hot fuzz work is it is 100% just taking the piss out of every action movie, bad boys Two and point break and all of those, but it's doing Mm -hmm. it from a place of love. Like these are people that enjoy those movies, but they're like, yeah, I love that movie, but it's it's also pretty ridiculous. It's not not crapping on them because you're mad. Right. Exactly. It's like you said, it's a tribute. You Mm -hmm. know, this, this is not the greatest song in the world. It's a tribute. There you (laughs) You go. Perfect. To, you know, to bring in another music movie in. <laughs> um, I did have a couple of quick clips I wanted to play because they, they really made me laugh. One of them was Chris Evans. And mm-hmm. the reason I captured this was um, it sounded really familiar to me. And then reading about it, I think I buy the, uh, the trivia bit. So I'm going to play it first and then I'll tell you why I, I buy the piece of trivia from it. But this was Chris Evans. Um, okay. This is right after he reveals that uh, he's got his stunt double there. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I let him do the wide shots when I feel like getting blazed back in my Winnie. So from what I read, that that is a reference to Blade Trinity because Wesley Snipes was so yeah. didn't want to do that movie, so he would let his stunt double stay mm-hmm. out there and he would just sit in his trailer and get high. Yeah, um, and again, I I love that for the fact simple fact too that, that like that scene hits funnier now because that's Chris Evans. Yep. You know, and like Chris Evans again is captain america as far as i'm concerned so like to him like oh yeah i'm letting my stunt doubles do my work so i can get played like chris evans wouldn't do that now <laughs> apparently know? though th- those were his actual stunt doubles like no those, no I, that, i'm sure it, no i know he has stunt doubles i'm yeah. just saying like no i get what you're saying you know um but yeah I, I that cracked me up and is it me or does he sound like um oh who does lego batman um, uh, he was Job in Arrested Development. Why can't I think of his name? Somebody? Up. Anybody? I'm looking it up now. But um, yeah, I, it, it, is it me or does he sound like him? Oh, Will Arnett. Will Arnett. Does he not sound like Will Arnett's Batman in that? Let me play it for you again. Yeah. Sometimes I let him do the wide shots when I feel like getting blazed back in my Winnie. He's got a little bit of that voice going on, a little bit of Will he's Arnett's got, Batman. He's in definitely there. got the try-hard grit going on. Yeah, definitely. Um, which I, I and I have not seen the Lego Batman, so I can't say oh, okay. to the comparison. But again, it's, it's for, to him to, to do the try-hard bad guy, like, <laughs> like you know, it's almost it's almost akin to Christian Bale's Batman. <laughs> Where's the Joker? You know, yeah, a little bit. Even um, though I loved, and and not to say I don't like christian bale's batman i think he was actually one of the better batmans well he was a good um, but, bruce wayne batman he was okay but bruce wayne he nailed it yeah exactly and but you know you can tell like he's okay he's p- putting his deep voice on mm-hmm. you know he's trying to put his bad boy voice on which i, I and, love and granted every actor that's played batman does that 
He just yeah. did it so drastically. He he just went over the top with it. He did. Um, I got a couple of Michael Sarah lines because these are so one of these just about anybody could probably deliver, and that's this one. Bread makes you fat. That that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this other one, because I also think I also think this was about the time when like gluten gluten and gluten free was kind of becoming a thing. Yeah, probably. Um. So. And then this one, this is kind of uniquely a Michael Sarah type of line, the way he delivers it. It's when he's first talking to her at the party, which, by oh, the way, God. if you notice, when you watch that scene again, take a look at where the light switch is because the light, the light switch on the wall behind him is like seven feet off the ground. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but this is like a total Michael Sarah um, delivery here, and it's where he, he tells her the Pac-Man story. But butchers it. And butchers it and then just says this. I'll leave you alone forever now. Like, yeah, that's just nobody but him is going to be able to deliver that that way. And, yeah. And that cracked me up. Um, and also when she reads off all the T's, mm-hmm. which apparently she memorized that they the, the crew was like, we can we can put a cue card up there for you. But she apparently Mary Elizabeth Winstead wanted to memorize all that, which is impressive. Uh, and then his reaction. Did you make some of those up? Well, that's actually that's actually in the comics. Yes. That's that's straight from the comics, and and I, I think even okay. the T list is like twice as long. But that oh that cracked me up. But it, it was also yeah it's perfect timing. It's a great delivery. Um, um but yeah. Oh and this one, uh this was a Wallace line, and I just I had to capture this, and now I have it mm-hmm. on the soundboard forever. Pick it up with Liberace's ghost. <laughs> yeah. I don't make the gay rules. Pick it up with Liberace's what I, ghost. What I want to know is how many people watching this movie under the age of 40 know who the hell Liberace was. Like, Probably I really want to know because it can't be that many. And even then it's like, you know, like I, I know of him. I never seen anything from him, but yeah. you know, um, um, I, I already played the song. I, like I said, I think, I think Wallace was probably my favorite character. Well, Wallace was great. He just did not give a shit. And, was could, unapologetic the entire time. Like the um, the the scene where he um is texting in his sleep cracked me up too because his sister calls. <laughs> he's like, "Wait, how did you know?" Uh, Wallace, duh, and he's like, "He's not even conscious." And looks yeah, over and, and then, he's got his phone out and he's just texting. That that was good. Oh, absolutely. Stop dating us. I'm sorry. Okay, can't help it. <laughs> We're old. I'm forty. I'm dating myself. I, I don't know. Give a shit. <laughs> like, um. I only got uh, I'm a one between meals. <laughs> I only got I one Jason Schwartzman line, but it was uh, it was my favorite one of his. You made me swallow my gum. <laughs> yep. That that that's and, and that's the takedown of the you made me bleed my own blood. Yep, exactly. You know, or you made me do this, and it's like, uh, no, and it, the and I, you should have gotten the whole thing where he's like. You know, that's going to be my di- digestive tract for seven years. Yeah, I thought about it, but I wanted to keep it like, short. Just but because because like the the. Uh, just the conviction he says behind it <laughs> is great of like, this is the worst possible thing you could have done to me. Exactly. You know, not fight me, not hurt me, not take Maroma. You know, you made me swallow gum. Yep. <laughs> you know? Um. So this was the only, uh, so far, the only Edgar Wright film to be released with a PG-13 rating. 
Um, all of his others have been R for obvious reasons. This had this had cartoony comic book violence. It didn't have the mm-hmm. over the top violence that some of his other stuff has had. Um, yeah. But they did have to uh, censor uh, swearing on one line that they weren't originally going to in order to keep that PG thirteen rating, and that was this one. Shut the f- Julie. That originally didn't have the beep in it. I think it plays oh, wow. funnier. I think it plays funnier the way they fi- the, the way they did it. Yeah, well, especially with because with Julie, because Julie was the bad mouth. Yes, you know, like she was getting censored all over the place when she's yelling at Scott in the coffee shop. Yep. You oh. know, so for for uh, um, envy, envy. Yeah, sorry. So, you know, so for envy to have it happen to her was just kind of was just poetic justice. Yeah, because you know, like she played like um, yeah, it was. Aubrey Aubrey Plaza, Mm. you know, which we know her now from uh, The Office, and she's kind of like... That's right. You know, she has this kind of really dry humor and really intensity to her, but still is a comedic actress. Mm -hmm. You know, so for her to play, again, to play, you know, the bitchy girl who knows everyone... Parks and Rec. I'm sorry, Parks and Rec. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's why I was confused um, for a second. I'm like, The Office. I get my reference. I'm 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 terrible about references, <laughs> so thank you for correcting me on that. Yes, thank you. Um, but you know, and you know, to, she plays kind of the cold but kind of distant character in that, but still very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, not distant, but uh, not engaged. I think is probably the best way to say it. You know, and then for her to be just up everybody's ass and like Scott don't, you know, just yelling at Scott all the time not to, you know, and again, in the comic books, you see it even more from her. Like she does not like him at all, Mm. you know, and she will never like him. I'm just going to have to find these and read them because they I'm pretty sure I'll enjoy it. I mean, I'll I'll, if you want, I'll send them to you. (laughs) Maybe I'll I'll have to look around here first. Um, But hey, they're not they're not hard to find. You can usually find them on you can probably. Well, I don't know if you have a Kindle. You could probably buy it on there. But... Oh, that's true. I didn't think um, about that. Yeah, I mean, they're not too hard to find. Well, hey, I want to thank you for coming on. This was a ton of fun. Uh, at the end, I finally got to see this movie. So, double win. Like, I'll, no, I'm glad. I appreciate. I'm glad to have been on. This was fun. Uh, this was, you know, and getting to watch this movie again was a nice break from reality. <laughs> yes. Oh, tell me. About um. That. You know, and I, I really enjoyed getting to watch it again. I was, I was, I was kind of worried I wasn't. I was worried I was gonna kind of. I was afraid I wasn't gonna like it on the second second watch through because it's been ten years since I've right. seen it. Well, you know, it's and, good that it held uh, up for you. Then I'm glad I did. I'm glad you know we did this, I, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Well, um, where can people find stuff that you're doing or working on? Because I know you do. Um, I know you do sound for uh, a show. Yeah. Um, so I do. Eh, it's kind of funny with everything right now. It's everything's kind of on hold. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I am the audio producer for the Blood Crow Stories. It's a serial, serialized horror podcast. Uh, each season is its own self-contained story, but there's references in between. Um, so you can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much your podcast uh, catcher of, of choice. We're not on Spotify though. Okay. Um, but we have. And again, we're literally smack dab in the middle of season four and everything's on hold because of, you know, the pandemic. But we have four and a half season or three and a half 
three and a half seasons uh done so if you need something to listen to you know enjoy that um definitely what was that title one more time uh the blood crow stories blood crow stories okay and i'll uh actually i'll put it can i put a link in the chat sure i'll i'll link to the website and you can kind of find us from there all right uh i also do um i i'm not doing this season but i'm kind of the audio assistant uh, audio i guess technical director for uh atl by night that's a live stream of the vampire the masquerade uh uh tabletop rpg yep i've watched Um, that a few times that's a lot of fun too if you if you are into that tabletop rpg at all it's a great uh it's a great live stream to watch and yep, I'll, so it looks like the chat's not going to let you put those links in, but I'll get them um, and I'll I'll make sure that they get out for people to see. Okay, um, I'll put this. I'll send this other one to you so you can. Uh, yeah, perfect. This is the link to the ATL by night, but we stream every Tuesday. Um, and again, we're halfway through season two, and uh, a lot of stuff's going on. But you can also find us on YouTube and watch the show and catch up. Um. And then I also stream on Twitch. I haven't done it lately, but I am gearing it to bring it back up. Uh, you can find me at uh, Groovis for Life, uh, twitch.tv uh, slash Groovis for Life. I do Rocksmith and music-based stuff. Um, my base is out of commission lately, so I'm, but I'm going to switch it up and probably do guitar for a bit until I get my base repaired, so... Uh, you can catch me on there, and uh, you can just find me on social media, uh, SBM Base on Instagram and Twitter, and I don't give out my Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah, so we do. I do this show Sunday nights, 8 p.m., um, uh, twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis for Wait You Haven't Seen. I've been doing game streaming a couple nights a week, doing classic mm-hmm. adventure games, kind of point-and-click adventures. Um, I'm midstream in thimbleweed park right now which has been a ton of fun um i'm actually (laughs) going to be guesting on joystick and mouse tomorrow night to review it um i also have a new show in the works that's going to be starting up here in a couple of weeks um we're going to be trying out a new experiment with amazon watch parties and i'm going to be doing a review show of highlander the series um, where we're going to watch an episode and then we'll do our review and talk about it and then that section will come out as a podcast as well. So we'll have a live watch, um, kind of a live watch along and then chat and then a podcast of the chat. And so if you want to, you don't have to do the live watch along, but you'll get more from it because you'll get to see the episode and then hear us talk about it. So yes, there can be only one 119 episodes of that because there's 119 episodes of that show. <laughs> so but that's uh, that's going to be starting up here, probably about a week or so. Um, I'll be talking about that more on things like Twitter, uh, TV's Travis on Twitter um, for that. But yep. Uh, so once again, thank you for being on. This was a ton of fun. We'll do it again. Um, we'll have you on with another movie. Absolutely. So with all the crazy that's going on out there, um, I like to tell everybody to uh, enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other.
like you would know anything about. And by the way, I can't believe you asked Ramona out after I specifically told you not to do that. How are you doing that with your mouth? Never mind how I'm doing it. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>